All right, welcome back to RUF. Um, if you were here last week, we did an intro to the book of James. James, it's challenging, and it's going to be challenging all semester. I mentioned that, and so I uh, hope you're prepared for that. That's what we need, actually. We need to be confronted uh, on our sin, and we need the grace of God to come in and change our hearts. A funny story, last week I get a, I'm on Facebook, and I get a message on my wall. We've got several students that are in London this semester, and they're listening to the podcast, and they said, we enjoyed your singing at the end of your sermon. <laughs> I left my recorder on, and I am a terrible singer. <laughs> And so if you want a good laugh, you don't even have to listen. You can fast forward to the end, and I'm singing with all of my heart in Christ alone, and it is awful. <laughs> so that was a funny, uh, funny message this week. But if you have your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. If you have an announcement sheet in your chair, on the back of that, you'll find an outline printed for you. If you're a note taker, C.S. Lewis's children's story, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Many of you have probably read that. In the story, there's a young boy named Eustace. Eustace is one bad apple. I mean, Eustace, it's always Eustace against everyone else. Eustace is grumpy. He's always crabby. It's always Eustace against the world. One day, Eustace decides to go out on his own, and he ends up in a dragon's cave. And in that dragon's cave, he finds a treasure, and he decides to take some of the treasure as his own, and run out of the cave. And as he is running out of the cave, he looks into a reflecting pond, and instead of seeing his own face, what does he see? He sees the face of a dragon. You see, Eustace had become a dragon. He knew that he all, his heart was always like a dragon, but now since he had stolen the treasure, he had actually become a dragon. And so he quickly started clawing away at his dragon skin. And he would get a layer off and it would be lying there beside him. And then he would run and he would look into the reflecting pool. And guess what? He was still a dragon. The skin, the dragon skin had actually grown back. So he would go and he would dig a little bit deeper to take off another layer of the skin only to find that another layer of dragon skin had grown in its place. Eustace was panicked at this point. He runs out, as you can imagine, runs out into the woods and he finds Aslan. Aslan is the Christ figure. Aslan is Jesus in the story and Aslan with this very low growl looks at Eustace and tells him to come close. And what happens next, Eustace describes as something he'll never forget. 
Aslan actually takes his claws and digs deep into Eustace. Digs so deep that Eustace said it felt like he was piercing my soul. Eustace says it was more painful than anything he had ever experienced before from Aslan. Eustace, after Aslan finishes peeling the layers of the dragon skin off, runs and instead of looking into the pool, this time he jumps in and he discovers that he had actually become a boy again. You know, I'm afraid that many of us tonight are like Eustace in that we don't really believe that we have dragon hearts. And not only that, we think that we can actually take off our own dragon skin. You see, James, this evening is going to show us how deep our sin problem really is. But not only is he going to show us that, he's also going to give us hope. He's going to show us that yes, our problem is greater than we can imagine. But we have hope for change because of Jesus. Follow along with me as I read James 1 verses 13 through 18. This is God's word. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is con- has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. Each good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he is brought forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me pray. Father, uh, we need to be challenged. We need you to show us uh, where we need to be changed because without you confronting us with the truth uh, of our sin... um, we can't be changed. And so would you come and show us tonight, but would you also uh, give us your grace? Would you also show us Jesus? Point us to the cross for forgiveness uh, and for true change. A change that doesn't just last a week, but change that goes to our hearts and actually transforms who we are. Uh, Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that are from the north, for those of you that are from the northeast or the west coast, you may not be familiar with kudzu. But if you're from the south, you might be more familiar with kudzu than you would ever hoped you would be. What is kudzu? Well, kudzu has been described as a climbing, coiling, trailing vine. And due to its out-of-control growth, it has earned the nicknames, nicknames such as the mile-a-minute vine, the 
a foot a night vine, or it's even been called the vine that has taken over and, and eaten the south. You see, kudzu grows during its season of growth, in peak season, almost a foot a day. And in one season of growth, it can grow up to 60 feet in one season. Sin is like kudzu. It never stops trying to climb up us and coil around us. It grows fast and it must be cut back daily. You think about it. One moment you feel like you've got sin under control. You feel like you're on top of the game. And then all of a sudden you turn around and it's climbing on you and curling around you. It seems as if it has grown a mile a minute and a foot overnight. Is that not true? And so the question becomes tonight, how do we prevent it? How do we effectively fight against the sin or the kudzu, if you will, in our lives? Well, James answers that question before us tonight. And he says there's four ways that we can effectively fight against sin in our life. Number one, if you see your outline, stop blaming others. Two, acknowledge the true source of sin. Three, understand how temptation works. And fourthly and finally, we'll finish up with rest in God's goodness and love. Let's start with number one. Stop blaming others for our sin. Look at verse 13. We think we sin oftentimes because other people make us sin. It's always outside of us, isn't it? With our circumstances. Or it was the situation that we're in that makes us sin. That's what we oftentimes think. It's someone else's fault. You see, the flesh is so defensive that rather than admitting that we're sinful, we will grab at any straw out there. We will blame anyone and anything to get the focus off of our own heart and off of our own sinfulness. Look again at verse 13. We not only blame other people, we not only blame situation and things, we blame God. And it's not a new thing. Uh, you go back to Genesis chapter 3. The very beginning of creation. Genesis 3. Adam falls into sin. He disobeys God does his own thing, rebels against him, and God comes and confronts Adam on his sin. And what does Adam say? You remember what Adam says? The woman you gave me, it's her fault. He is blaming God. God, it is your fault. If you wouldn't have put her in my life, it never would have happened. You know who the woman then blames? The serpent. So she places blame and blame shifts as well. And you sit here and you think, I don't blame God. Well, let me suggest that while we would never possibly do that out of our mouths, out loud, 
we often blame God in our hearts. We often blame God under our lips and under our breath when we say things like, God, why did you make me like this? I mean, God, you made me with all of these problems. Or we might say, might say things like, God, if you would just work more powerfully in my life, then I wouldn't be doing these things. I wouldn't be struggling like this. Where are you? Show up and this wouldn't be a problem. You know, I've even heard someone say before that God made me with a stronger sex drive than other people. That's why I struggle so much with lust. You see, the truth is, by nature, we are all blame shifters. We all will blame anything and everything, including God, for our sin. And look at what James says. James corrects us, doesn't he? He says in verse 13, When tempted, no one should ever say, God is tempting me. We must never say or even imagine, James is saying, that God is the one tempting us. God is not responsible for evil. No evil whatsoever, not even the slightest bit, dwells in God. It never has and it never will. Now let's be clear. While God would never tempt us, God does test us, doesn't he? The Bible's very clear. Those are not the same thing. That's a whole other sermon. But God does often test us to prove our faith. Remember Abraham and him going up the mountain with his son? He was testing. He was proving his faith and improving his character. But God never lures and never causes us to sin. Here's the point. You want to effectively cut out the kudzu, the sin in your heart and in your life that is entangling you? We've got to stop blaming, on it, blaming it on everyone else and acknowledging, acknowledge that the real problem is us. The real problem is our hearts. That leads us to the second point. If we're going to fight against sin effectively, we must acknowledge, secondly, the true source of our sin. Why, do, why does James say that we sin? Look at verse 14. Each one of us is tempted by what? His own desire, desires. And here's what James is saying. It starts in our heart first. You see, the more I read James, the more I'm blown away at how good a pastor he is. You know, we read James and he gets a bad rap for being just command, command, you know, do this, do that, just boom, 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 all application. But he's a very good pastor. And here's why. Because time after time, as we're going to see this semester, he's going to take us back to our hearts. James is much more than dealing with things on a behavioral level. James is about our heart. 
And time after time after time, he's going to put his finger right on our life. And he said, you, and he's going to tell us, you know what your problem is? Your problem is not situations. It's not other people. Your problem is your heart. What is wrong with our heart? Well, the Bible has some very hard things to say about our heart in its natural state. Some things that some of you might struggle and have a hard time hearing, but they are 100% biblical. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful above all else. The book of Jeremiah talks about that. The Bible says that in, their nat in its natural state, our heart actually wants to sin. It says that we are born rebels, that we are actually drawn to things that are wrong and things that are twisted. It says that our hearts are full of darkness and that by nature we despise God and reject Him and actually run from Him. It says that even our motives are tainted by our own selfish desires. It says that our only hope is for the Holy Spirit to invade our heart. It's what the Bible talks about in the terms, uses the term regeneration, comes in and quickens or makes our heart alive so then our dead heart actually can love God and move towards God and love other people. But, even when God does that in our hearts so that we love Him, you feel the struggle, right? Even with the Holy Spirit, there is still this war of the heart going on. This war between the flesh and between the Spirit, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. Do you feel the struggle? Paul puts it very vividly in Romans chapter 7 when he says, the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. And the things that I do want to do and should be doing, I don't do. If you're like me, you feel that every single day. If you're still not convinced that your heart's the problem, let me get a little closer to home. If you're not convinced that your heart is the problem, how about we project all of your thoughts, the thoughts from this past week that you've had in your heart and in your mind on this screen back here at the end of RUF, a story or movie of your life of this past week. Any takers? I didn't think so. I wouldn't do it either. If we did that, there is not a person in this room, including me, that wouldn't run out of here as fast as we could and go get in the fetal position somewhere and never come out again. That 
is what our hearts are really like. You know it's true. And my question is, do you feel like a phony? Do you feel like you're trying to do all the right things, be good enough, but yet you know deep down who you really are? Are you struggling with sin tonight? Some particular sin that you can't get a hold of and can't get a handle on? Are you struggling with your thoughts? If so, welcome to RUF. Welcome to RUF. Don't be fooled. There is not a person in this room tonight that has it all together. You see, that's what we want to be. We want to be a place where we can come and say, yes, it's true. But God's grace is greater than you could ever imagine. And in Jesus, there is hope for change. In Jesus, there is forgiveness. There is life. Paul Tripp, he's a writer. He writes a book called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And he talks about this point of getting at our hearts. And the fact that getting at the heart is how true change takes place. He says that each year he has an apple tree in his backyard. And it never produces good apples. It's always dry and pulpy and wrinkled and brown apples that are being produced from this tree. His wife finally says, Paul, we've got this awesome apple tree. Well, not so awesome, but we've got this huge apple tree, but we can't ever get any good fruit off of it. There's no good apples. Please do something about this. So you know what he does? He takes two bush, bush, bushels of apples. He takes an industrial-grade staple gun. He takes a ladder. He takes branch cutters. And he goes out to the apple tree, climbs up, cuts off all the bad apples and limbs. Then he takes his staple gun and he staples the good, the bright, shiny red apples to every branch on that tree. So that from a distance you look at that tree and you think, that is the best apple tree in the entire world. <laughs> You know, that's crazy, isn't it? He acknowledges that it's crazy. And here's the thing. We all know that if a tree is producing bad fruit, season after season after season, then something is drastically wrong with what? The roots. The root system. And it's not going to solve the problems if we take our staple gun and we staple new apples to the branches. They will rot. <laughs> Why? Because they are not connected to a life-giving system. You see, much of what we do in our lives to produce growth, much of what we do to change when we're struggling with sin, is nothing more than fruit stapling. What do I mean? Well... Oftentimes, when we want to bring about change in our lives, we simply deal with the behaviors. I've got to stop doing this. Get better. Do these three things. Stop doing these three things. And we never get to the heart 
And the Bible says over and over that if you want to bring about true change, you've got to get to the root. You've got to get to the heart. Could it be tonight the reason why you've never been able to change or to experience victory over sin in your life, you've never been able to cut it back, is because you've never gotten to the root. You see, our only hope tonight, friends, for cutting back the kudzu, the sin in our life, is to stop blaming everyone else It's to stop blaming our circumstances and God, to stop trying harder and to finally realize and own up to the fact that you're the problem. Are you willing tonight to look your heart in the eye and confess that you are your greatest problem? You see, I hope you are because that is the beginning, the starting point to lasting change in your spiritual life. Thirdly, let's, we need to understand how temptation works. Look at verse 14. When we are tempted by our own evil desire, it says he is, the person is dragged away and enticed. James, which makes sense because it was his profession, is making use here of fishing language about how temptation works. Here's what James is saying. He's putting before us this very vivid picture. He's saying, pretend like there there is this school of monster bass swimming by in the water. And one of the fish, one of the bass, sees the bait in the lure. And so they leave the safety of their other, you know, of the school of fish, and they are enticed, okay? They're following along, and they're following the lure and the bait, and then they get up really close, and they open up their mouth very wide, and they're going for the bait. They go in, they bite down as hard as they can, and what do they find? They find a hook, don't they? And more than likely, you know what happens next. The fish is painted and mummified and then hung up on someone's wall as a trophy. That is what James is saying. He's painting before us a graphic picture of how temptation works and what our own desires do to us. What James is saying is, I want to take a remote control and I'm going to slow this picture down of temptation and I'm going to show you what happens every single time you are tempted. That's what he's doing here in those couple of verses. Here's what happens. One minute you're doing great. You're on top of the world. Things couldn't be going any better. And then your roommate decides to leave for the weekend. And then all of a sudden the temptation floods out of nowhere. Comes crashing into your soul. It is almost too much for you to bear. And the next thing you know you are being dragged away by internet pornography. 
You see, your heart sees it, and it looks good. And you think in that moment that it's going to bring you life. You think in that moment that it's going to bring you joy, but you know deep down in your soul that it won't because you've been there before and you know it won't deliver, but sin has deceived you in that moment of thinking, come to me. That's what sin says. I will make you happy. Come. You won't be depressed anymore. Come. And you'll feel better about yourself. And then boom, you take the bait and you go and you bite down. And what do you find? You find out, just as you have found out every other time, that it's absolutely not true. You have found that instead of giving you life, sin gave you death. You found out that what was holding out for you, life, never, ever delivers. You see, James is slowing down temptation in this passage and showing us what happens. Because, see, that is key to dealing with it effectively when we can see clearly. When the mud clears, we're able to see temptation for what it really is. That's what James is doing. You want to fight against sin effectively? Stop blaming others. Acknowledge that your heart is really the problem. Understand temptation. Slow it down. Understand what's really going on in that moment. And then most importantly, rest in God's goodness. Look at verses 16 through 18. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And what's the implication here? Remember the whole evil talk earlier? James is saying the implication is that nothing evil could ever possibly come from God. Only good comes from God. And His goodness doesn't change like shifting shadows... His goodness never changes. The only way we're going to fight sin in the moment is by remembering that God is good. You see, the goodness of God is what kills your sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about temptation. Remember this passage where it says, God is faithful. He will not tempt you or allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he provides a way out for you and will give you the grace to stand up under it. Now think about it. When you are tempted, you don't feel like there's a way out, do you? When you are being tempted in that moment of temptation and whatever you're being tempted with, in that moment you say, there is no way I cannot not do this. You feel like it is too much to bear. And that is why we must preach the truth and the gospel to our hearts. 
and remind ourselves of what is true. The next time you are tempted with whatever is your is tempting you and kind of your consistent temptation, whatever it might be, stop and wait 15 minutes and preach these things to your heart. I'm a child of God. And regardless of what I feel at this moment, I know that that is true. I am a child of God. Sin no longer masters me. So sin is no longer my ruler. I am not slaved to it. I am not defined by my evil desires. God is with me. Jesus is with me. Jesus is my hope. He is my Savior. He is my rock. He is my Redeemer. He is my life. And then you look at the temptation and you say, you will not deliver. I will not trade Jesus in for you. You look at that temptation and in that moment... You say, you will never satisfy me. I will not be fooled. In fact, you will kill me. Not give me life. You see, no matter what you're feeling in that moment, God says you have a way out. He has promised you. That is the truth. Preach that to your heart in the moment of temptation. Satan wants you to think that you're helpless and hopeless in that moment. Satan says, if to use an illustration that I talked about last week, Satan says, get in my car. Quit. There is no hope. Remember what James says? He's going to say it every week. Get in the car. Face your sin. Remember that God is good. Remember that God gives good gifts to His people, that He has given you the greatest gift of all in His Son, Jesus. And yes, you're going to blow it time after time, but remember that at the foot of the cross there's forgiveness. And that Jesus has taken your sin and thrown it as far as the east is from the west. You see, that's the good news of the gospel. That is what's going to help us to stand under our sin and under our temptation. Remember the voyage of the Don Treader. The young boy Eustace, he'd stolen the treasure, he turned into a dragon and Aslan had to peel away the layers of his dragon skin. He finally ran and jumped in the pool and he realized that he had become a boy again. See, that story illustrates for us and shows us what sin does to us. It shows us that sin distorts us and twists us and actually makes us a caricature of what we were created to be. Like Eustace, we think we can peel back 
our own sin layers. And Jesus says that our problem is so deep that the only way we change is if he does it. And here's the thing. If Jesus does it, and that's really our only hope for lasting change, it's going to hurt. In fact, it's going to hurt probably worse than anything that you've ever experienced. Are you willing to let Jesus cut back your layers of sin tonight? I hope you will. Because if you will, you will finally emerge fully human. You will finally emerge more into who you were created to be as a human being. Let's pray.